Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to start our new series for Christmas time, A Moment in Time. And uh, if you will look with me, we're going to be over in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. It'll be on the screen here a little bit. Uh, but we're going to open this three-week series uh, and talking about Christ's birth and how it changed the course of history. And we even separate history according to Jesus' birth. We know we have the old B.C., which is before Christ. We have A.D., which is Anno Domini, which, is, which I probably slaughtered. And, it's, uh, and it is uh, medieval Latin, which means in the year of the Lord. So A.D. has to do with the arrival of the Christ, of the Messiah, and he has come. And we're going to look at some really powerful passages of Scripture in these next few weeks as we step into the Christmas season. And yet we have these, same, these Scriptures have an impact on us as followers of Christ. And I believe they have an impact in the world as well. We have Jesus who has entered history as the God-man, he has changed our lives. And our world was just going along as it was before he came and he intercepted. Now, when some of us think of interceptions, we think of Alex Smith of the Chiefs. <clears throat> yeah, my team, Lord help us. Uh, for others, uh, we think of cars like the famous police interceptors out there. And when some people think of uh, interception, we think of things like that. When I was a, uh, when I was worked for General Motors, uh, they sent me to Shawnee Mission uh, for General Motors School. And one day, they, as I was there, about 20 of us were there working, uh, learning from the lead technician there. And he was talking to us and explaining how things go. And, and he said, have you guys heard about the new police interceptor at the time? That's a long time back. None of us said anything. We didn't know anything about it. And he says, well, let me tell you. He said uh, they've tried him out. And the one at that time, they, he said that uh, somebody was in their muscle car and they decided that they were going to outrun the law enforcement. And so they're going down the interstate at 130. And so uh, little did they understand that the police interceptor that General Motors had designed at that time would go 150. And so as they're running down the road, the police interceptor decides to come up behind him because he can't go any faster, and he passes that man. And then with the new analog brakes that they had at that time, he slams his brakes on, and the guy, of course, decided to stop and pull over. Uh, that's an interception, at least to those car guys, right? That's an interception. As dramatic as that may be, we're not going to continue on talking about cars this morning. So, the greatest interception, the greatest interception of all time had to do with the greatest person of all times. Before Christ came into the world, we were captives to sin and deserve God's punishment. Now that Jesus has intercepted our world, now that He has stepped on the scene and He paid the price for our sin, we can be free from our guilt and know God personally. Today we're going to look at this uh, chapter in Isaiah chapter 52 at verse 13 
and the actual passage goes all the way into chapter 53. And we're going to look at this this morning, if you will, with me, verse 13, and it says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured before, beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. First, this morning, we see that the servant will be lifted up, and that servant is Jesus, the Christ. We find the Messiah being lifted up in the beginning and in the end of this passage in chapter 53 as well. So the servant's wisdom was deeply self-denying. It meant for uh, for it, it meant accepting a, a conclusion to life that only the Father could provide. He was going to carry a burden, a burden of suffering, and to make hope possible for every one of us. Here, God, God's wisdom and man's wisdom decisively part company. God's wisdom is not like man's wisdom. This suffering servant that entered the world we live in was, was going to be lifted up, but in more than one way. Yes, he came as a teacher. We know that. He came as a healer, healing people's lives and touching their lives, restoring them. But Jesus was lifted up by many for his wisdom and actions, but he was also lifted up on the cross on that day. You can see a double experience here. First, the Messiah is to be lifted up and highly and exalted, which sounds great and expected of a hero. But secondly, we find the horror of that would make many people appalled at him since he was so disfigured by the crucifixion. The word translated appalled in our language, of course, is very strong using that word appalled in Hebrew as well. But you don't have to assume that the experience uh, described is purely a physical experience that Jesus faced. For deep inner anguish demonstrated itself by its effects on the face and of his countenance. The suffering servant that the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about here is going to suffer greatly. But he will sprinkle the nations and he'll shut the mouths of kings. The word sprinkle here, of course, has uh, over, spiritual overtones for the, the sacrificial system. And the word sprinkle relates to the consequences of Jesus' uh, sufferings instead of the sufferings themselves. It also relates to the sacrificial work to the world in general, not just for the people of Israel. Jesus gave his life for all of humanity, Jew and Gentile alike, everyone. As it says in John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See, we were captives to sin, but God the Father sent Jesus, this suffering servant that Isaiah prophesies about, to carry our sin on the cross that he was lifted up on. And this, friends, changes the world. This is the mark of where time changes. 
Isaiah has given us that dividing line of history from B.C. to A.D. And he says in verse 15, For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Before Christ entered the world, mankind didn't even understand. And since he has come and he suffered for us and was glorified, we realize that Jesus has changed the world. Yet by faith in Jesus' sacrifice for you, you can realize that Jesus can change your world. Jesus has intercepted our world. The servant was rejected. We see, secondly, that that servant was rejected. Jesus, God living in human form, was rejected. We're actually going to look a step deeper into this next chapter. We see that the last chapter and in 53, they connect together here. And if you'll look at 53, verse 1, it says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This is speaking of the Christ. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. These verses really show us how Christ would face real life like you and I. He faced real life like you and I. You may face challenges in your life. You may face pain. You may deal with things that you think you may never be able to handle. But Jesus has faced it there with you. This also reveals that the Messiah would be rejected by the very people he came to save. He'd be a tender shoot like, a, dry, like a, a root from dry ground. You can see the imagery here that Isaiah is bringing out, and the Messiah wouldn't seem all that special in his looks. No one really would be drawn to him because of his looks or demeanor. And one scholar says in verse 2, in verse two suggests that the, the servant would be confronted with adverse conditions from his youth. He says Jesus' human, human environment in which which he lived in in that day, was dominated by legalistic Judaism at the time, and it couldn't explain him. They lacked a refreshing application of God's Word. Jesus' true deep-seated beauty was hidden from people because they looked at him from an entirely human standpoint. He'd be be despised and rejected by us, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Now, since Jesus has come, this is A.D., it's not B.C., he's arrived, and we have to recognize and be careful about making statements in our prayers. Maybe you have done this before. Have you ever said, Lord, you have no idea how much this situation hurts? That's a dangerous statement for us to be able to say to the Lord because He's bore our iniquities. He's bore our infirmities. He's bore our sins. He's bore our disgrace. He held those on His back. By His stripes we were healed. 
He bore that. Does he know pain? He knows pain. If you think you know pain, you don't know pain like he knew. He went through it. Not just on the cross, but he lived life too, like we live life. He knows your pains. He knows your rejection. Some, sometimes some of the greatest things are rejected in this world. It's easy to happen. People like different things, and there's certain things they just reject. Napoleon said to Robert Fulton, one of his engineers, his engineer comes to him, and this is his, his quote. He's, uh, Napoleon said, What, sir, would you make a ship against a sail against the wind and currents by lighting a bonfire under its decks before the steamship? I pray you excuse me, I have no time to listen to such nonsense. What was Napoleon's response? That was Napoleon's response to steam-powered ships. Now, if Napoleon would have listened, maybe, he, uh, maybe England would have been speaking in French in these days. <laughs> Fulton went on to design a submarine as well, powered by human beings, and he called it the Nautilus. But what Napoleon rejected as absolutely, absolute nonsense could have changed Western Europe. For the good or bad, I don't know. But Christ, the suffering servant, was rejected by humanity and could have changed their world, although he did. It's here that we turn over to verse 4 to 6 this morning and we as we find the centerpiece of this passage. Uh, the third thing we're going to look at is the significance of Christ's suffering. Here, it's here that we find the atoning significance of Jesus' work on the cross. Here, Jesus' interception into our world is playing out to our benefit. We are the ones who uh, receive the benefit because of what Jesus has done for us. And as we come into this Christmas season, we have a reason to celebrate and enjoy ourselves to know, look at what Christ has done for us. Look at verse 4 with me on the screen. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we find Jesus' interception into our world is, is playing out to benefit us. In it, and this was a costly atonement. Verse 6 may even pull its language from the Day of Atonement found over in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 and 22. And what is atonement? Well, it's, it's the means of reconciliation between God and mankind. And the atonement merge, uh, emerges from the Old Testament, we find, as part of the sacrificial system. And it was reframed, reframed around Jesus, the Messiah, who came to give his life for us. Atonement is one of the few theological words with roots in English. We actually, uh, this was formed out of English, but the idea comes from Scripture. And it was this process of which a tube particularly two estranged parties were brought back together. They were made at one, comes the word atonement, at one with each other. It was through Jesus taking up our pain and bearing our suffering 
that we find ourselves at one with God. We weren't before. He gave his life on the cross. And if we put our trust in him through faith, we are made at one with God. We were, at stra- we were estranged from him. We were far from him. Israel had been estranged from God. But Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. He was telling us that we had been alienated from God, no matter how good we were, no matter how nice, no matter how many times we mowed the neighbor's yard. No, no, don't mow their lard. That wouldn't be a good idea. No matter what our situation is, no matter how nice we've been or kind we've been, we were still alienated from God and we needed Him. It's much like the guy who left his dad on poor terms. He went out over, went out on his own. The guy had two sons. The youngest told his dad, hey, I want my share of the estate right now. I want to head out and do what I want to do. And so the dad reluctantly split up his, uh, uh, all of his estate between his kids, two boys. The youngest packed his new stuff and he moved out. He lived a crazy lifestyle. He wasted everything he had, but when his money was starting to run low, then the economy crashed, and, and uh, he had no net to fall back on, and so there he is starving. So he finally decides, hey, I'm going to go to the local farmer. Maybe I can feed his pigs. Maybe he'll hire me on. And so the son was so hungry, he decided, you know what? Even the pig slop looks good to eat for me. Nobody gave him anything, but finally... He came to his senses. He thought, well, even dad's employees have extra food. They're, they're still going to make it through. And here I am starving to death. Uh, all I have is pig slop to eat. And so I'm going to head back home and tell my dad, dad, I've messed up. I've messed up. I shouldn't even be called your son. But would you at least hire me as a hi- uh, hired hand? So he went home, he saw his dad, and his dad was coming, and his dad saw him, and he runs to him, and, and, he, and he has compassion for him, and he said, Dad, I messed up, I, I shouldn't be called your son, could you give me a job? And his dad told his employees, bring the best Armani suit and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and give him my best shoes that I have. Set up the barbecue, it's time to celebrate. My son was estranged and he's back again. He was lost, but we found him. We too were separated from God until Jesus came into our world. Jesus came to make things right. But at first Isaiah says that people will view the Messiah as punished by God. They will see him as punished. Look, remember he was being crucified on the on the for the death on the death penalty. He was he was getting the death penalty. He was crucified. So so uh, they could say that that he was being punished by God. He gave his life on that cross though, but it was for us. He was punished on that cross in our place. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. We know that he wasn't punished because of his own actions, because of his own sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't stand on our own righteousness. We stand on his righteousness. Jesus' interception 
caused him to suffer for us. Now Isaiah shows us that the servant was oppressed and no one cared. Look at verse 7 with me here. It says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished and was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich of his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The word oppressed here was appropriate. It was appropriate in relationship to the trial, uh, trial and the trials and death of Jesus. For all those who tried it with Pilate and Herod and Annas and Caiaphas had all had some authority and they misused it uh, and to condemn him. And then we see Pilate trying to uh, wash his hands of it and let somebody else do the dirty work for him. But still, he was part of that. Judgment of the cross was the instrument of oppression. The servant Jesus would be oppressed and nobody even cared. In fact, his disciples ran away from him. The servant was cut off. He was cut off from the land of the living and being cut off holds the idea of a violent premature death and also the judgment of God. Sure, he was judged by God, but the Father, but not because of any possible sins of his own, but because of our own, because of ours. And as verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. We had been captives to sin, but Christ intercepted our world. He paid the price for our sin to make us free from our guilt so that we could know God for ourselves. The servant was cut off in our place. He was cut off from the Father's presence for us, but, but at first no one really cared. Some still haven't caught on yet. It would be like a man that decided to provide a full-ride scholarship for, for students said, okay, if you, I will give you a full-ride scholarship to go to K-State or to KU, and I'll pay it all, and you just send me the bill. You hand me every bill that comes to you, and I will pay it, and you will be free and clear. And then the person that is going to be receiving finally says, you know what, this seems a little unique to me. I don't know about this. I don't know that I want to take that scholarship on. I'll just do it myself. Keep your money because they just don't, don't know what's involved in this. But see, for Jesus, he gave us a free ride scholarship, so to speak. He gave us the ability to meet the Father Almighty. He gave us the opportunity to be in a right relationship with the living God. All we must do is accept that gift that he has provided for us by faith. Jesus provided that. And that's what Christmas is really about. That's what Christmas is about. It is about God sending His Son into this earth so that He can live, be born and live like you and I did, carried in His mother's womb, lived a life, gave His life in our place. 
Finally, we see the servant will be elevated over the greatest. Jesus may have been crushed, but he was raised from the grave. Verse 10 tells us here, as, it, as Isaiah is prophetically looking to the future, and he said, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. By righteous, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore our sin, he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. After Jesus, the serving servant's suffering comes to an end, then comes vindication. The phrase, prolong his days, points to the resurrection. He has suffered and will see the light of life that also points to the resurrection. And we know from the New Testament that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he intercedes on our behalf. At the end of verse 11, we find that Jesus, the righteous servant, will justify many. We don't stand alone before God based on our works. We stand only in faith in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. He has borne our sins. And through faith in Christ, we can be placed in a new position before God the Father Almighty. That's why the world changed. That's why B.C. is gone and A.D. is here. Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have life and you place your faith in him. Before Christ came into the world, we were captives to sin and deserved God's punishment. Now that Jesus has intercepted our world and paid the price for our sin, we can be free from our guilt and know God personally. Just as he did that work on that day 2,000 years ago, that work has been done. But today, we accept that by faith. You may not have accepted that by faith yet, but today you can if you'll put your trust in Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust that He did raise from the grave, and He's offered to you eternal life. All you have to do is ask Him to come in. Jesus offered His life up in our place. It's a substitutionary work. It's something He substituted Himself for us.